This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Today on the On Enquirer podcast, it's been one year since name, image, and likeness went into effect in college athletics. So today we catch up with Cam Cox, the NIL coordinator at Illinois, one of the preeminent experts on NIL in the country. And we'll talk to him about how NIL has impacted student athletes, how it's impacted the University of Illinois, how it's impacted college athletics, and how it will shape and evolve college athletics moving forward. Cam Cox is a really bright guy. Again, one of the guys who knows more about this than anybody in the country. And Illinois hired him, Josh Whitman hired him last summer uh, to be very proactive about NIL. And Illinois certainly seems to have done so. And Cam gets into what he can talk about with with student athletes, what he can talk about with recruits as well. Uh, And we talk about pay for play and if NIL has turned into that. So fascinating conversation with Cam Cox. Stay tuned for that. But before we get to Cam, I want to talk a little bit about Illinois football recruiting because Brett Bielma just got his 11th commitment in the class of 2023. This one from three-star Michigan defensive lineman Mason Moragan out of Warren, Michigan. The first uh, Michigan guy Illinois has landed since Jake Cerny back in the class of 2016. So Michigan not that too far away, but Illinois hasn't had a presence there. But Terrence Jamison has connections in Michigan, and he adds a nice piece uh, to his defensive lineman. I want to get into Illinois getting quickly filling up some of this class, which is why they've, they've risen in the rankings up to 27 right now in the 24-7 sports rankings. That'll probably fall at some point because Illinois is probably only going to take 15 or 16 prospects in this class. At least that's the plan. Uh, but to, to see Illinois have about two-thirds to 70% of its class right now is, is pretty encouraging because they've been hitting on a lot of their official visitors. But I'm Mason Moragan. I just think he's a really solid defensive line prospect. And, and Illinois hasn't gotten many of those uh, here recently. The last couple classes, defensive line has been a, a little bit of a struggle. And it's one of the more competitive areas to add to your football team because everyone needs big, strong, physical, athletic defensive linemen. And Mason Moragan, at least for 24-7 sports, is, is kind of a mid-tier three-star prospect. So maybe fans aren't too excited about this one. I can understand because he doesn't have a lot of other Power 5 offers. But our guy, Ellen True, who lives in Michigan, uh, knows people in that program, thinks it's a really solid get, really solid prospect for Illinois. And Moragan doesn't have any other Power 5 offers, and it seems like part of that is because he's a little bit of a late developer, had, had a fantastic fall season where he had 31 tackles for loss, which was a record for his program at De La Salle Collegiate, which is a powerhouse in Michigan, won a state championship last year. I had 12 sacks, I believe is the number. Uh, so obviously had really good production. 
but he's added a lot of strength in this offseason. It seems like he's really added to his game because every camp he's gone to this offseason, he's really impressed, uh, including the spring in front of evaluators like Allen, uh, but also in front of college coaches. So Illinois saw him in, in the spring, really liked him, decided to get out in front and offer him, and they were really expecting Mason to potentially blow up this uh, summer because he went to a lot of camps. It went down to Auburn and was the defensive line MVP of that camp. Yet Auburn didn't offer, which was huge for Illinois. But then he went to Cincinnati and was pretty good at that camp. Cincinnati, which has had a great class or what top five in the country right now, they didn't offer either. And then Mason decides to come to Illinois for his official visit. And I think because he saw that Illinois believed in him after not getting offered elsewhere, despite showing his talent that this was the place he wanted to be. And uh, obviously Illinois loves him. They were really hoping to close this one down, and they were able to do it before he went and camped at Purdue or Michigan. Uh, So I think Illinois did a heck of a job recruiting him, but they see a guy in Mason that provides some versatility up front. He can play on the edge as he does in high school, or he can bulk up and kind of play the four-eye shade, kind of a, a strong side defensive end kind of role. Uh, he said Owen Carney-like, and, and that's what Owen was. Even though he's an outside linebacker by name, he basically played a, a strong side defensive end kind of role. So that four-eye shade, five technique, that kind of player, uh, I think he can bulk up to 275, 280, and really give you a versatile piece up front. Mason's a good athlete, I wouldn't say a great athlete, but what really stands out to me is how technically sound he is. Um, He uses his hands incredibly well. A lot of scouts say heavy hands, uh, but you just see him disengage from blockers. That's all it means, is is he's able to use his hands to quickly disengage from blockers, has an array of pass rush moves, and then he just has a motor and tenacity to him that that you want on the defensive line to go along with a frame that's 6'4", 240 pounds, somewhere around there, that... He, can, he has the tools. He has enough tools to be a really good B, Big Ten defensive lineman. And then you hear his coach, who talked to Joey Wagner, rave about the work ethic. You put all those things together, that's kind of defensive lineman they feel like he can make a, a multi-year impact as a rotational player, as a starter, and just kind of the player you want in your program. That's, you know, Brett Bielma says, maybe it's cliche, but tough, smart, dependable. I want those guys in my program. So I think you pair him with Jamarion Harkless, who is just different. At 6'4", 290, really athletic, plays the nose and maybe the three technique. Mason Moraga, more of an outside defensive lineman. I think those two guys together work out pretty well. And that could be the close of the defensive line class because Illinois is not, no longer going to host Jamal Howard or Ian Jeffries this weekend. So it feels like that could be it for the defensive line class. But you think about it. Coming into this month, after missing on Roderick Pierce, after missing on Dante Barone, after missing on Tyler Gant, you know, there were some concerns about defensive line recruiting. Well, Illinois hosts two defensive linemen. They go two for two. They get two commitments of two of their biggest priorities at the position. And two guys, I think, are really good Power 5 prospects. Moragan, maybe not quite the level of, of Harkless for me, but I still think a really solid uh, prospect who I think could be a really good Big Ten football player. So Illinois addresses one of the top needs. Defensive line was right up there. Quarterback coming into the class for me. Cal Swanson, we'll see what he's going to be, but I, I think they emphatically answered the questions at defensive line. And now Illinois has gotten to the point, guys, where they were going to have some official visitors this weekend. They're confident enough in what they did in their two weekends. They were kind of scheduling, maybe we can do four weekends. They had two big weekends. They did well enough or feel confident enough in the prospects that they talked to, that they had on campus, that they will not have any official visits this weekend. And they're going to push those back to the fall, which 
I mean, those prospects might decide to commit by the fall. So I think that says they have a lot of confidence in, in landing the spots they have left, which everything I've heard was 15, about 15 commitments, prep prospects. I think if they get the right guys, they would take more than that, 16, maybe 17 if they get the right guys. But Illinois has a pretty high hit rate so far in their official visits. They had 17 uncommitted guys come in so far. Seven of those have committed to Illinois, and only one is committed elsewhere. And that's Deacon Tonielli, the tight end who committed Michigan that Illinois was just shooting a shot at, seemed to do very well, but Michigan obviously is a different level of program. Uh, so I don't know if Illinois is going to address a tight end. I think they were kind of shooting the stars, uh, shooting for the stars with a guy like Deacon Tonielli. They offered Nathan Gwynn out of Florida, but I don't see them pushing there. Um, but that's a pretty good hit rate so far. And, and there's going to be guys who go elsewhere. Like Frederick Moore seems like a Michigan lean at this point. There's going to be guys who go elsewhere. But that's a pretty good hit rate, and I think that says a lot about how they handle official visits, uh, how they set up their official visits, who they decide to get on these official visits, guys that they think they can close on, guys that they read really well that, hey, we have a really good shot of, of closing on these guys. Um, and, and everything I hear from recruits, their parents, uh, is that Illinois is just a relaxing, I, I hate to use it, but they use it all the time too, like the family thing they say is, is real. And I ask them what they mean by that, and it's just that, there's not a lot of recruit pitching going on. It's not like, hey, commit here. It's, it's not a lot of fakeness. They just feel real and they feel comfortable. And that's got to be part of it, right? When you when you go somewhere, when you commit to doing something, you want to feel comfortable. And, and Illinois feels that way. And I, I just think Illinois has got some dynamic personalities on the staff as well. And then some you know, guys who just make you feel comfortable. You know, like there's some dynamic personalities with Aaron Henry and, and Corey Patterson, right? Guys that can get you jacked up like that. But then there's, I think, some comforting guys like Andy Boo or Terrence Jamison or Bart Miller. And I think Brett Buma uh, would, would be in that regard as well. So I think they got a good mix of staff there. Um, but as we look at this class, I've had a bunch of people tweet me here in recent days. Uh, this is a much different than what Lovey Smith did. Uh, there's one four-star in the composite and Caden Fagan and, and some three-stars. Uh, we, we can, I could pick that apart uh, with things, but yeah, Illinois still got to find a couple headliners left in this class, right? I think they've addressed their needs. I think Jamarion Harkless is a headliner. Uh, I think he should be a four-star. That's how I feel. So if, if you're an Illini fan that doesn't believe this is a great good class yet, great class yet, that, that can be your opinion. In my opinion, Jamarion Harkless is a four-star caliber talent. I think T.J. McMillan is the kind of prospect Illinois needs to land and that Iowa, Wisconsin, even Minnesota in recent years has really stolen from you. Um, so I feel like those three prospects I feel really, really good about. And then I think they're getting good players, good, solid prospects. Rico Jackson, the offensive lineman out of Florida, uh, has a heck of an offer list, better than what his ranking is right now. So I think you've got to look into those things, parse into those things. But otherwise, they've got some good prospects that, that address their needs on the edge, on the offensive line. And there's just a lot of power five offers uh, among a lot of these guys. But still, you've got about four or five spots left. And the way I see it, I think Illinois wants to add one more edge uh, prospect, an outside linebacker, one more wide receiver, two DBs probably, and maybe an offensive lineman if they're able to land one of their top targets there. They, they got three. I think they're pretty happy with those three, but they would love to add a Chris Tarek or a Brandon Henderson there. Um, but obviously the headliners that, that Illini fans are going to look at and that I am very interested in are the two in-state top prospects. Jair Hill, defensive back, who just came back here for the second time this uh, June uh, as he was at the 7-on-7 seven seven camp, and, and Illinois coaches were all over him. Jair was fun to watch. Joey Wagner and I talked about this, but you got to close on that one. 
right? Like if you land Jair Hill, it changes the way you think about this class. It changes the way maybe you think about Illinois football recruiting and the program momentum going forward. Because you can start winning those battles. Caden Fagan beating Iowa for him, whether Notre Dame was pushing for him or not. He had a Notre Dame offer. But Jair Hill has a ridiculous offer list. Michigan really wants him. right? Oregon has offered. Oklahoma has offered. Ohio State and Alabama have gone and see him. Uh, he's a guy who reminds me of Antonio Johnson, that level of prospect in, in the defensive backfield. So to land him would change a lot of things. I think Illinois is doing pretty well there, and I think they've done a great job. Now it's about closing. I think Illinois has recruited Malik Elzey really, really well, but you're going up against Cincinnati. And, and while maybe a couple of years ago you, you need to win that, now Cincinnati's coming off a college football playoff. Now Cincinnati just had nine NFL draft picks. Now Cincinnati um, – has a great passing game, just had a quarterback get drafted in the NFL. Now Cincinnati's going to be in the Big 12. That's tough competition. And you hear different things on LZ, uh, but, you know, coming into this month, I heard Cincinnati was in a good spot. Illinois has done a great job. I know they've been pushing for him, uh, but we'll have to see. Now, now it's about closing for a guy like that. But I also think if, if they were able to get Fama Toure out of New Jersey, a six foot three, 200-pound wide receiver, who brings similar things to LSU. Great athlete, long, athletic, physical. If you can land one of those guys, I think that's the kind of player the wide receiver room needs. Of course, LSU is a bigger headliner. It's a, it, I think it does more outside the program, but eventually you just need good football players. I think Fama Toure uh, would certainly address that need. I think Sabor Kareem, even though he's a three-star prospect, I think he's got four-star level talent. A kid out of New Jersey, six foot three, really long and athletic, a, a lacrosse player, could be a Division I uh, lacrosse player. But uh, he would be, to me, kind of a, a huge get for Illinois. Even though Illinois is going up against Duke, I just love him as a prospect. And then another prospect that I think Illinois is sitting pretty well with is Calvin Smith, uh, an edge rusher uh, out of Florida who, who's visited Pitt, visited Rutgers, probably going to make a decision here very soon. So I, I think Elzey Hill would be big gets, but I also think Torre – uh, Calvin Smith and somebody like Subor Kareem would be really great additions as well. And you think of Illinois can can enter the season with their class basically full, where you can maybe shoot your shot for some stars during the fall, and maybe add an extra prep prospect that, or two that you didn't expect to. You know, Mountis Moeller was somebody they they kind of fell in love with in the fall, so they decided to call an audible, add another offensive lineman. I think that'd be that's a great position to be in. Plus. You can really start on your 2024 recruiting and go even further ahead in that. You know, a lot of schools are starting to get some commitments in that class as well. So if Illinois can kind of move forward and obviously recruit the commits you have, evaluate more of the 2023 class, but even start even more on the 2024 class, I think that'd be in a good position. So to have 11 commitments in this class at this point, potentially get a couple more, maybe fill out most of your prep allotment, I think that puts Illinois in a really good spot. Uh, it's just do they get some of those headliners we're talking about? That's what will change the perspective of what this class is, where it's at in the rankings, all those things, and, and just give uh, Illinois potentially some more um, you know, momentum moving forward. But I, I like the process that, that this staff is following. I think I said that last year, even when they didn't get an Austin Brown, maybe they didn't get uh, some more headliners. I just like the process and some of the results they're getting about who they're getting on campus and how they're closing so quickly. It's the stuff we've seen from Minnesota and Iowa and Wisconsin. Like it feels like Illinois is starting to get closer to recruiting like those programs, which is the point, which is the point. That's what uh, you like so far about Brett Bielma. All right, when we come back, Cam Cox, 
what has NIL done to college athletics the last year? How has it impacted student athletes? And how has it impacted Illini athletics? We talk about that with Cam Cox coming up next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Well, a year ago, NIL fully came into our lexicon, and that's when Cam Cox came to Illinois as well. And he's kind enough to join us now here on the Online Inquirer podcast to talk about how NIL has changed college athletics so far, Cam, how NIL has evolved in that year, and how it will impact college athletics moving forward. So, Cam, thanks as always, man, for bringing insight into uh, what is always an interesting evolving topic here. Thank you, Jeremy. I'm, I'm always glad to be here and glad to be talking with you once again and talking about my favorite topic. <laughs> That's right. So before we dive into the last year, um, you were practicing business law in New York City before you got here. So this is your favorite topic. How did it turn into your favorite topic and what interested you in this role and what interested you in working in NIL? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. And, you know, folks don't really ask me that question as often as I, I wish that they did. Um, you know, I'll say for me, it was the opportunity to jump in on something that I, I thought might be a big deal really early on. I'll say I had a very, very low understanding of NIL when it first started, even as somebody who worked in this space. There were a couple of things that have evolved over the past year that we'll talk about that I could kind of anticipate. I didn't anticipate the intensity and the speed with which that evolution would take place, but I thought that some elements of that would happen. Um, but what I did know was there was a moment of disruption and the disruption creates opportunity. And so when I had the opportunity to do just this, I said, oh my gosh, this is great. And the best part about it was I was one of the first NIL only folks in the country. Um, and so I knew, well, whatever I do, it's either gonna be kind of right or kind of wrong. It can't be like, no, that's totally not the way we do it because no one's ever done it before. Um, and so that was really, really inspiring. I mean, I'll say that before I came here, I had actually never been to Champaign before. Um, it's a funny story I like to tell, but when I first showed up on my on my first day, um, the, the lady who greeted me at the door, she said, did you get here okay? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Speaking of here, right now we're in Champaign. The other one is called Urbana. She said, it's Urbana, you'll give yourself away. And so I just to give people a picture of how green I really was, um, I didn't even know how to, how to pronounce Urbana. And now, you know, it's one place I go every day, went earlier. So that's how it goes. But have, have been glad to be here. And it's been really, really exciting stuff and has, um, has changed a lot, but has continued to create that opportunity that I had promised in my head. I was going to bring up with you. Um, you are one of the first NIL coordinators. I, I know that was hired. And Josh seems like he's been very proactive uh, about the NIL space here. So just how would you describe what the University of Illinois, your approach, Josh's approach has been to name, image and likeness so far? So our approach really involves 
three prongs, but all of them we think that we can be at the forefront of. I mean, the first is student athlete education. And so when I first came here, there was a sense that, all right, I need to try to just figure this thing out. Um, we think it's going to affect a lot of different areas of our athletic department, and it has, but the foundation of everything we do is in education. Um, and so that was kind of the start of it. And we had our three educational and pillars of the influence program. I've said it 100 times, I'll say it 101. Brand and strategy development, business innovation, entrepreneurship, and leads to financial literacy. And so we put on programming around that, and that was, I think, well-received by our student-athletes over the course of this year. We're looking at how to expand that and how to use some of the university resources that we have and some of the great content that we have in order to do that. We'll be kind of announcing more on that here soon. Um, and then the second approach has to do with community outreach. One thing that we realized pretty quickly was we have 550 really good little brand ambassadors that we have the ability to kind of put into the Illinois community. And I say the Illinois community because I mean that both kind of in the physical sense, but also in the virtual sense. I mean, we have second largest living alumni base. And so there's a really big appetite for these little brand ambassadors and they're good at it, right? These are people who are media trained. These are people who are used to being in the spotlight. These are people who have the ability to get up in front of people. And so we really kind of wanted to release them to do that and to deepen a lot of the important relationships that we have, not just as an institution, but just kind of like as a brand, as a whole. Um, so that stuff is good. And the third part is competitive advantage. I mean, I think for us, one of the reasons we really want to lean into NIL is that we anticipated and saw to be true that having a really good NIL program is one of the best ways in 2022 um, to make sure that you can establish a competitive advantage in this intense period of disruption for college athletics where it's so important to do so. When student athletes are thinking about not only attending an institution, but also staying in an institution, as we talk about, you know, the transfer portal and all this stuff, um, they're looking at, okay, what's my coaching situation look like? They're looking at, okay, how, how has my academic experience been? They're looking at what are my facilities like? But now there's this new frontier where they're also looking at, hey, what is the NIL infrastructure? And so we wanted to make sure that we added that component because we knew the first three were good. Josh has done a great job and folks did a great job and continue to do a great job on that. But this new thing we knew could potentially be just as important. Turns out it has been on the front. Um, and so we wanted to make sure we did a really good job. And so honestly, folks have really leaned in. I think for us, we have taken a very active approach, understanding, okay, well, these are what our state laws are. These are what the parameters are. And these are also the things that we should consider, you know, because there's all these gray areas. And sometimes you say, well, look, we don't need to get too cute. We might be able to do this, but that's not the way we, we envision this thing going. We also see ourselves as something of leaders in the space. So there's a value to saying, all right, maybe I can get to yes on this, but maybe I shouldn't. Um, and maybe that there's a value to me not doing that, understanding that folks are looking to us as we kind of move the market on things. So, Cam, I think a year ago when this all happened, and that's why we kind of want to look back and, and figure out you know, how has this impacted college athletics? I want to get back to how it's impacted the University of Illinois athletic program. But let's start with the student athletes. Um, I know it's just a one year sample size. Maybe this changes in a couple of years. But how has NIL impacted the student athletes you see on a day to day basis at Illinois? I'd say quite a bit. I mean, I think the, the main way that it's inter, interacted with them and therefore kind of impacted their experience has to be with just their general business awareness. The truth is that, you know, I kind of talked about those three pillars earlier. You know, those are things that our student athlete development team and, you know, general adults have been trying to teach general young folks for a long time. But NIL gives you a real context for that. I'll tell you, I was in the football building yesterday and 
I was with a couple of, of stars in our defense and they have a new deal. And so they were talking about how much money they were going to make on it. And they were complaining. Jeremy, they said, you know, I thought I was going to make this amount, but I'm here now. I'm only going to make that amount. And I said, that's how taxes work. That's life. I said, in education at a university, right? Complain about taxes. Why don't you go ask Coach B about how taxes work? <laughs> I, told him. I was like, he'll tell you even more. Right. And, and it was funny because I said, look, you know, if you guys continue to kind of build your brands off the field, perform well on the field, eventually you're going to be really complaining about taxes at a, at a much higher number. And so, you know, you kind of got to continue to, to do both of those things in parallel. But that's to say, it, this isn't new. You know, right. This isn't a new it's not as if they just now decided that tax, you're going to be taxed on your compensation. Who knew? Right. But what it's done and it's also not the first time the two of them have ever heard about this. I can promise you. Right. Because right? they had jobs in high school and stuff. What it's done is it makes you care. And that's just a small example. And because it happened yesterday, it just hit me of what I saw. You know, we can get into this. But even last week when I went to the um, NIL summit down in Atlanta, um, kind of a national convention of student athletes and NIL administrators talking about this stuff was student athletes building their brands. I mean, that's that's been here for a long time, right? We have a whole creative department that has to do with allowing our student athletes to kind of tell their own stories in the context of our program stories. But now there's an incentive for them to be very deliberate about that. And I think all of that has been very educational for our student athletes. So I'd say that's the main way it's impacted them. I think there's also the piece where they say, hey, I can make a little bit of money. Um, and it's really incentivized them to get out into the community like as a student, if you remember back to your student days, by and large, we provide such a great on-campus experience that your world is the campus bubble. With NIL, we knock down that wall and we are encouraging you to, well, maybe you should go a little further down Neal Street than you otherwise would. Or it turns out that Green Street's a lot longer than you think. There's other stuff to do. And our student athletes are starting to think, well, maybe I could, maybe I could get a deal with some of those restaurants that are downtown or well, maybe there's some folks that I should think about interacting with who are up in Chicago and, and all that other stuff. And so I think it's just kind of generally increased their awareness. And I've been really proud to be a part of that. How would you kind of describe, is, is there, what's the difference? What are the challenges uh, compared to men's athletes, which obviously football, basketball is at a, a high visibility cam compared to, to female athletes? How, how has this impacted female athletes so far compared to, to men? You know, I'd say the same way. Um, you know, we, we were running some numbers yesterday and it's hard because there's disclosure issues and you never know how correct stuff is. But one thing I was really proud of was that I can confidently say somewhere between 35 and 40 percent of our NIL activity actually has gone to our female student athletes, which is great. The compensation admittedly is more lopsided, but the the number of activities um, which is really the source of your education and your experience. Like the number is the number, but what you're doing and whether you're interacting with it and whether you have reason to care and whether you actually have to read a contract and whether you have to talk to someone who's a business person and whether you just have to think about it, that's really driven by activity. So I'd say the way that um, our men and women interact with it is, is similar. I do think that a lot of the national headlines and the national discussion has been dominated by um, football and men's basketball. And so as a result, I think that our men's basketball and our football student athletes think about NIL a bit more globally in the sense that they're thinking, okay, what might be the market for my services in a particular context or not understanding details like, oh, I heard so-and-so was able to earn this amount of money or well, um, so-and-so got a Lamborghini at another school, right? That kind of thing. And I say, well, there's not a Lamborghini dealership around here. So that's, that's going to be a giant hurdle that you have to have to overcome. Um, so I, I think that the, 
the experience has been largely the same, but I do acknowledge that there's another piece of it for football and men's basketball. And in that sense, I think their awareness has been a little bit greater. So I want to go back to it's University of Illinois. Um, just from my outside observation, Cam, I look at Illinois basketball program that is rolling uh, on the court and you know, has great talent, has had Io and Kofi obviously took advantage of NIL the year he was here. Uh, but they're starting to seemingly get better talent. And, and NIL doesn't seem to be an issue for Illinois. While I'm hearing it, some of their competitors, it could be a, a hindrance. So how is how has this impacted University of Illinois? Do you feel like you guys are ahead here where you can have it as a competitive advantage? I do, but that's in flux every day. I mean, I, I encourage everyone who listens to this to get involved. And whether you say, well, you know what, I own a business and it makes total sense for folks to kind of help my operating activity by, you know, student athletes helping my marketing stuff. Great. Or if you're like, you know, I, I don't, but I'd like to throw, throw 30 bucks toward the effort. There's a, there's a means of doing that too. Um, and I say that to say, I do think we have an advantage, but just like everything in college athletics, it's not like you establish an advantage and then Michigan and Michigan state and Indiana and Purdue just say, well, they got us right. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> Right. Folks are going to try to catch up on that. And so just like I was the first one in the Big Ten to be hired in, in just my role. Well, now there is somebody who's at, at Purdue. And now Michigan is starting to lean into it a little bit. And now Ohio State actually has two people who kind of do it, right? And so I say that to say we want to make sure that we can improve everything that we do and, and build on that. I think one of the things that's been interesting, and it was happy, I was happy to see that a couple of our transfers who, who came did comment and say, hey, you know, NIL was a part of what I saw was attractive is we've been able to present an attractive compensation structure, something where people will say, look, I, I have the ability to really monetize my NIL in a really cool way there. Um, and they have a system of doing that in a way that just doesn't exist in other places. Um, and I've, I've been excited about that. So I'd say, um, the success of men's basketball has has made me a bit busier, but it's definitely a good busy. It's a busy that I want to lean into, and I, I would like to accelerate. What's that look like when somebody, a student athlete or recruit, asks you about NIL structure? Yeah. Um, what, what does that look like? What, what can you tell them? What are you allowed to do there? Yeah, so it, it's interesting. So I can tell them pretty much anything, which you can't do. One of the rules, I've never really been worried about it, but I guess other folks across the country have struggled with it, is – NIL can't be used as a recruiting inducement. And I think that a lot of times there's this incentive to say, well, if you come here, you'll make that this amount of money. We don't have to do that. Reason why is because several of our student athletes are actually making money. So I have the ability to say, well, this is what our current student athletes are making on average, or someone who has played your position has made this amount of money, or yeah, there's been this kind of deal, or yeah, there's been that kind of deal. And I have real examples. I always see it, and I don't mean to be like too damning, but I've always seen kind of the recruiting inducement approaches like a little bit lazy, right? Like it's one thing to say, well, if you come here, you'll make $100,000. That might work with a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old, but it's within the rules and actually better to say, here we actually do have people who have made $100,000. Like if, if you actually have that, there's some real value to, to being able to talk about that. Um, and so I talk about what our current athletes have made. I also talk about what our structures are and how we can offer support. So I talk about my role and my background. I talk about the role that the speed pool on our creative teams play and what that does for it. I talk about the role of the Illini Guardians. I talk about all that stuff. And basically what I'm saying is, look, I'm not gonna promise you a dollar 
But if you come here and you maximize this platform, you have the opportunity to make a significant amount of money. And you should believe me because we have folks who have actually done that. And I think that a lot of schools who are more, you know, kind of slower to lean into NIL or for, or behind or for whatever reason, they kind of have to just rely on recruiting inducements because they don't really have any examples. So they just have to say, well, I promise you, if you come here, you'll make this. And if I'm a recruiter, I'd look across the table and say, well, other than it being against the rules, I just don't believe you. <laughs> like you haven't told me how would that actually happen? We have the ability to kind of talk about that. And I think it's also good because we have the leadership at the top who is beating that drum. I mean, when you have Coach Underwood saying, look, NIL is really important and here's how you can get involved and who's given his time to that. And when you have Josh Whitman doing the same thing, they can actually believe that. Whereas other schools, people may say, oh, well, it, we care about NIL. Well, where's your leaders on that? You know, where, where's your just website on that? Do you have an NIL person? Do you have any sort of NIL philosophy? Like in, it took a long time for a lot of schools to even develop a policy. And so in that sense, when I can talk about those things and the people who are watching this and other fans and stuff can, can help me talk about those things effectively, that has shown itself to be really, really good just as recently as this offseason. You mentioned the, the Illini Guardians and, and Josh Whitman, Brad Underwood, Brett Bielma have promoted those guys um, as part, an important part of their program moving forward. How has that relationship evolved and how is an NIL collective, how does it impact um, what you guys do from an NIL perspective? It's a great question. I'm glad I'm going to get an opportunity to kind of speak on it. So I'll say, you know, for folks who may not be aware, the Illini Guardians is a third-party entity created for the purpose of supporting finding Illini student-athletes through NIL. It's the only purpose of it. The people in it, know them personally, talk to them regularly. They don't earn compensation from that. They want to make sure that student-athletes have an opportunity to monetize their NIL rights and do service-related activities. That's basically what it's for. Um, having a third-party entity is going to be, and I would say is if it's not already, um, is going to continue to be one of the most important aspects of a successful NIL approach. It just is. Um, for folks who are here around Champaign who say, you know what would be great? My daughter is turning 15 this weekend. She loves basketball and I want to help out with Coach Green and some of her new, new initiatives. I want to uh, hire one of the women's basketball players to come to the birthday party. Great idea. We have alums all over the world, right? There are folks who are in Houston who love the Atlanta. There are folks in San Francisco who are listening to this podcast. There are people in Atlanta who are beating the drum and they want to help, but they, they don't live in a place where they can really interact directly with student athletes in that way. That's the value of the Atlanta Guardians is you can say, okay, I'm going to give my $50 to this group and I can trust that group. And the reason you can trust the group is because of the relationship that that group has, has shown a willingness to have with our athletic department. They are a third party group, but we, we hope that we've been able to indicate that it's a group of folks that we are in regular communication with and that we trust and that we're able to kind of influence to some degree. So the group cares a lot about how they can help the University of Illinois athletic programs like that's really it and then how they can the only thing they care about other than that is how they can help the Illinois community um, and so they never do anything that's kind of at odds with that you know I'd say that one of the things is we change the state law is it allows me and our department to actually get more involved with having those discussions with the group and allows them to ask more questions and it allows them to kind of join more with what we're doing and so I, I think you may have been referring to it earlier Jeremy I mean recently is you know a month ago um Coach Underwood, Coach Bielema, Josh Whitman, 
all went over to Decatur and actually spoke at, at a Guardians event. Um, it was, you know, the Illini Guardians, they hosted it, they were the MCs, but the people who spoke at it were university employees and people who wanted to kind of show a level of solidarity and trust with that group. So I'd encourage people to get involved. Kim, I want to go back to this. It's been a year of NIL. You said you could see things early about where this was going and maybe then there were some surprising things. So um, the evolution of this, what has surprised you? What hasn't? What's gone the way you thought? So one thing that has, and I'll kind of answer all that in one, one sweep. <laughs> that was thing, way too many questions in one. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's all related. So one thing that has not surprised me is that the foundation of NIL has been really donor support. And I mean that by, you know, people whose names are on buildings and I also mean that by people who just buy tickets. All of that, all those people are donors, fans, supporters of, of what we're doing here. The nature of institutional programming, be it, you know, the College of Engineering or just a cool initiative, um, the study abroad initiative that comes out of the business school, all of that stuff is financed by like, alums, boosters, donors. Like that's how stuff happens on a college campus, right? So we don't have salary caps and uh, drafts and like other kind of principles of parity. Like that, that's how stuff happens. And so even early on when so many of the headlines were about like, well, so-and-so signed a deal with this company and other people signed a deal with that company, I would be really, really interested in that stuff. And then I do a little bit more digging than other people did because it's my job. Um, and often I'd see, well, that company is run by someone who supports the school. Or, well, that company is is local to where the school is and is an institutional partner of the athletic department. Like it's it's a little bit different. And so the idea that what would eventually emerge out of that were just third-party entities solely dedicated to supporting student athletes through NIL, I wasn't that surprised by that. I didn't think that it would happen so quickly. And I didn't think it would happen in this form. Um, but the idea that, well, you know, you could have a company that hires a lot of student athletes if you actually own a company that operates and there's a value of doing that, like several people have across the country. Or if you don't have that, you could just form a company specifically for the purpose of working with student athletes through NIL. I, I wasn't terribly surprised by that. I mean, I think also with my kind of previous experience in corporate law, but specifically securities transactions and private equity fund formation, like the idea that there would be a, a fund that exists kind of to serve the interest, the interests of, of another group. I wasn't that surprised that that would be run by a small group of people. I'm like, that's kind of how a lot of money moves around the economy. That, that kind of makes sense. Um, so I wasn't surprised by that. But the idea that we'd be sitting here, you know, a year into NIL and over half of the Power Five schools would, would have a collective, I was surprised by that. I think I was also surprised by the activity in the portal. I mean, it, it's, I, I don't love to see that. One, because again, the portal is not this kind of, cure all that it's sometimes seen to be one, you know, a significant number of student athletes going to the portal never come out has a Bermuda Triangle element to it. Um, I think also because when you really look at and take a deep dive on the portal, you'll see specifically in the context of men's basketball that a lot of times what folks are doing is they're moving kind of programs, program tiers, right? And so a lot of times you don't know how it's going to translate. Um, you know, it's one thing if you're looking at Indiana and you're looking at Illinois, you know, we've been historically kind of competitors. If you're looking at us and then you're looking at a school that may be a lot smaller, you don't really know how that's going to translate. And so there's been a lot of that kind of activity and it's not necessarily solved all this stuff. I think I didn't necessarily appreciate the way that NIL and the portal might interact. I'm glad that there are people who are trying to kind of curtail that 
um, and, and trying to make that not the case. But that's something I, I really didn't see coming. But I look forward to kind of going into year two and getting a better sense of what will emerge now because a lot of what's what will happen is that the things that we want to work that didn't those things will just go away and there's a lot of infrastructure and time put on it but it's, it's a sunk cost um but then there will be new ideas and i think I, i'm excited to see the emergence of some of the things where the groundwork has been late so things like the jersey program I mean, so you'll see the video game you'll see things where like oh folks were talking about that and signing up for those things for a long time but they were so large scale that they took that time and it'll be cool to kind of see that stuff come to light Obviously, Cam, we've had some high-profile cases of some stars leaving schools to go to other schools where they get these huge NIL inducements. So has NIL, you talked about it, with the transfer portal, both these things kind of happening at the same time, has it turned into pay-for-play? And if so, I know the NCAA is trying to kind of curtail on this. Like, how does the NCAA, conferences, universities, how do they do anything about it? So from my perspective, it hasn't turned into pay-for-play. I mean, I think – there are very few student athletes who should be transferring exclusively because of what they think is going to happen in NIL. I love the fact that folks have transferred here and said, hey, look, NIL is a part of it. But remember, I listed four things earlier um, that should be a part of that discussion. And I think are a part of that discussion. Um, but it's inevitable that there are people who are going to be bad actors out there who are going to be promising stuff. And in that situation, it does become just a, you know, a roundabout way of pay for play. I think how to solve that problem, I don't entirely know. I think one of the things that's interesting is, you know, considering what type of money you might make at an opportunity is what people do all the time. I mean, I'd say, you know, even when you think about scholarships for some of our non-revenue sports and stuff, it's regularly made a decision as well. You know, they gave me this much money for tennis and somebody else gave me less money. And that, that's different because it exists in a different context, but the, the theory is actually the same. Um, I think that whether the NCAA will solve that has to do with what the NCAA's authority is, and that's changing every day a little bit. I mean, as we consider the NCAA working through its new constitution, as we consider kind of the conference structure, the autonomy structure, and all the things that kind of contribute to this time of intense disruption, there are probably seven or eight things that are happening simultaneously in college athletics, where if that had happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it would be the biggest thing that had happened in 10 or 15 years. I mean, I'll ask you, Jeremy, remember when Texas and Oklahoma said they were going to go to the SEC? It seemed like old news, right? Because there's all this other stuff that has happened. Or even remember the Alston case from the Supreme Court, right? It's just, there's just all this just stuff in it. It's, it gets forgotten about because there's other levels of conference realignment, because there's new media deals, because there's NIL, because there's a, a kind of, you don't have to sit out for the transfer portal. There's all this other stuff. That stuff kind of gets buried. And all of that, I think, gets considered because none of these issues exist in a vacuum as much as we would like for it to. Um, every issue that we kind of solve, every time we pull on one lever, it affects another lever. And so I think there will have to be some level of a holistic solution. I don't know that that comes in a near term. I don't know what that looks like and I don't know how it gets administered. But for now, I don't think that it can necessarily be solved by kind of the current NCAA and definitely not in short order. Kim, just a few more for you. Uh, there was an amendment to the Illinois state law uh, that now allows you and the university um, to be involved in facilitating these NIL deals. I know you were a part of, of making that push and so was Josh. So What's that look like now and how's that impact um, everyone involved in this process? It's really been great. Um, it's really, really been great. I'd say one of the big things is it allows us to get more involved in arranging NIL transactions. 
And that's important practically, but also theoretically what it really is, is a symbol that we're, we're willing to kind of engage more with NIL transactions and insert ourselves in there. I mean, I think there are things that we think about from a bunch of different perspectives and we say, well, kind of alluded to earlier, like, well, we're still not gonna do this or we still don't wanna do that, but it's different than saying that we can't. When you can't, I think there's this tendency to say, well, that'll never happen, so I don't need to explore that. Now there's this sense of, well, it could happen, or, or we need to think about why we do or don't want to do something, or we need to think about a roundabout way of doing something. We need to think about how much, how many resources we want to dedicate to doing something, as opposed to I just can't. Um, so I think it's been really, really a, a breath of fresh air because it has, it has kind of just continued the juices of innovation and gotten them flowing and got us to think, okay, look, there's a lot that we can do here. So what do we want to do? And we still don't know the answer to all that stuff. And I'll tell you, neither does anybody else. But I, I like where we are. I like that we have given ourselves the, the free reign to do it. Um, and I also like the fact that we're putting ourselves on a level playing field. You may have seen that just as recently as last week, Missouri signed their law. And that was kind of the last one that I was tracking them in Louisiana um, in terms of whose laws were kind of moving this direction and, and how to get there. So it's been really, really, really great, honestly. Yeah, so basically you guys now can link people together, right? The student athletes and, and anybody interested. And before you just kind of had to be like, oh, throw our hands up in the air, right? So how has that impacted the students? Yeah, so the students love it. I mean, that that's the thing is, and I said this before, there was an appetite, just to be clear about it. Not only can we get involved in these transactions and, and more kind of involved in arranging these transactions, there was an appetite for from student athletes and the people who are in the market for student athletes celebrity for us to do so. Um, so student athletes are happy. I mean, it, they want us to review their contracts and, and offer comments on it. They want us to be able to say, hey, you know who you should call. And, and so do the people who want to use student athlete celebrity. If you own a business around here and you're thinking, I really want to work with a volleyball player because I know how important volleyball is to this community and I might want to work, but I don't know how to get in contact with them. It's important that I can say, well, you should probably call this person and that person because I know that they're interested in that particular type of product or, well, this person is local. And so it makes more sense. I mean, I had a conversation with somebody just yesterday on who, who was excited about kind of getting involved in IL. And I said, look, I mean, because of where your business is, you should think about these three people or these other three people because they're tied to that place. And they're like, oh, I didn't even know that they were from here. Like one, they did and the other two, they didn't. Um, and so I was like, oh yeah, but but that's the kind of stuff that wouldn't have been able to happen before. And so they kind of were potentially missed out on a whole year's worth of NIL activity because I bet you if I could have had that conversation this time last year, we would have been having that conversation. Um, so I, it does allow us to play matchmaker a little bit, but it also allows us to play matchmaker effectively and, and to make the process a lot more efficient. Well, Cam, it's nice to have a local NIL expert so we can come to you with these questions. But uh, a bunch of you guys, uh, Cam Cox is across the country, met in Atlanta for the NIL Summit. So I'm wondering, like, when you guys get together, what are you discussing about the future of NIL? Like, what, what are you thinking could be next or what changes next in navigating the space? Those are my favorite conversations. So th those are all theory. And I'll tell you, they're like level seven because it's all, you know, when I'm in this kind of a setting, of course, a lot of it is educating people and getting people to understand what's actually happening. When you get around those conversations, well, we all kind of have a general sense of what's happening. So it starts to become a, what if I wanted to, or what do you all think you would say about, or do you think that we would run into issues from an I don't know, a, a university resource standpoint, if we, and then people will say, well, our general counsel said this, 
but I think that, and I'll be like, yeah, 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 our general counsel said this other thing, but they didn't bring up this piece, but I bet you that this other person would. And so it's all that kind of idea. Wonky um, stuff, I love it. <laughs> it. It really is wonky stuff, but that's how you can kind of push the envelope because you think about it, there's a lot that is possible in the NIL space, but particularly as we think about being able to play matchmaker and get more involved in arranging this stuff, a lot of it has to do with what there's an appetite for. And a lot of times what happens is fans are very supportive of their team and their team's initiatives, and they're fanatical about that, but they're not as clued into what's going on across the country. And so there are times where I might see something out of California, or I might see something out of one of the schools in the Southwest and say, you know, that would actually be really cool here, even if we might have to take a little bit of a different form. And so having that trust and saying, well, how did you do that? Or, well, why did they, why were they okay with this aspect that I think I might run into problems with? That stuff is very, very helpful. Um, and so being able to just sit down in Atlanta with other people who are in the same seat as I am and kind of exchange ideas freely, that was really, really good. Well, Cam, is there anything else about NIL that, that I haven't asked or people you want people to know about the process? Not really about the process. I mean, it, it, look, there, there's kind of two things I'll say. You should totally get involved and I will help you. Those are really the two things. I know it's new. I know it can seem overwhelming. I know there's all the stuff about it, um, but I'm more than happy to help you. I mean, my email is kcox at illinois.edu. So it should be really, really easy to find, really easy to remember. Um, and you really should get involved because this is what is moving the needle right now in college athletics. There's not anything you know, in this moment, at the end of June in 2022, that is more important to the success of our athletic department than folks support in NIL. And that support has to come from you. I'll say, you know, Coach Bielema loves to say, you may be the difference. And I love saying that too, because the truth is, if you can get one more guy to decide, you know what, let me take a look at NIL or at Illinois, at Illinois because of NIL, or if you can get one more guy to say, you know what, I really like what we're having here. And even though there, you know, there are four things I'm considering, one of them I may like more someplace else, but the other three are right here and one of them is NIL, that really may be the difference. So in this moment, particularly right now because of everything going on in college athletics, we are trying to make sure we have every competitive advantage that we could possibly have. This is a really, really important one. And so I encourage people to do their part and, and join in. You said it, Cam. Austin case, uh, transfer portal, NIL, college realignment. It's it's all happening, but this seems like uh, one of the biggest ones. And we always appreciate uh, your insights. Cam Cox, NIL coordinator at Illinois. Always appreciate the time and insight, man. Thank you. I appreciate it and look forward to talking to you soon. Fantastic stuff from Cam Cox. He just knows what he's talking about with that. Just insightful, intelligent. So I hope you guys learned something because I learned something new every time I talk to Cam. You can check out the Illini Guardians website if you have more uh, questions about them, what they do, or you want to get involved. And, of course, Cam put out his email out there if you got any questions about NIL and how you can participate uh, through the University of Illinois as well. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Illini Enquirer podcast. I hope you enjoyed Cam. We'll do more, maybe a uh, podcast later in this week. I'd love to talk some NBA draft, uh, some more basketball, uh, potentially some bowls in Iota Sumu. We got that kind of in the works coming up as well. So thank you, as always, for listening to the Illini Enquirer podcast. Give us a follow, rating, review wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate all your guys' support, uh, whether it's on YouTube, subscribe to us there. We've been putting out more content there. And, of course, on the website at IlliniEnquirer.com. Just $1 to sign up for a VIP subscription. Derek Piper's got plenty of basketball content coming. And, of course, Illinois football recruiting continues to roll. And uh, we're about to talk with Brett Bielma and all the uh, coaches and a bunch of players today about the offseason. So we'll have plenty of content up at Illini Enquirer. 
All right, until next time, everybody take care of each other. Have a great day, and we will chat to you next time on the Online Enquirer podcast. The time has come for drag queens to save the world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. <laughs> Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.